Welcome to the Recover Everything podcast, where we have honest discussions about everything in recovery and mental health. Here are your hosts, Christopher West and Chelsea Mooney. Enjoy. There's 23 million people struggling with addiction. Whatever your answer is. Lift the shame and stigma of addiction. Don't choose anything that will jeopardize yourself. Look, you can face this, even though you think you can't, you can. So find your own recovery story, own it, embrace it, work through it. Each and every one of us matters. You know how people like have body dysmorphia, like voice dysmorphia? I have (laughs) all-encompassing... Dysmorphia? Yeah. (laughs) It it attacks every piece of my being. Mm. Even your little baby toe? Yeah. You're Especially like. my baby toe. Have you seen my baby toe? There's I've weird hairs seen. on it. <laughs> I've never seen your baby toe. You We're like, not that close would yet. Would you like to? <laughs> Anyways. Um, Nicole Bolden. Yes. Is our guest today on Recover Everything. She is the executive director of NAMI, which is the National Alliance, Alliance of Mental, Mental Illness. Illness. Hello, everyone. And just to clarify, I am the executive director of NAMI Southern Nevada. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so it's not in not of not nat- of the whole national the world. So I hear some people say NAMI and NAMI. Like, is it part of the country or what I think is it's the part of the country okay. because where I'm from, New Orleans, Louisiana, we all say NAMI. But I've heard people from up north say NAMI. Mm-hmm. Hear people here say NAMI. So it's kind of like there's no right way. I don't think so. Like for Nevada, if you say Nevada, we look at you with shame. That's, yeah, it took me a long time to say that. Correct. <laughs> what, who? I've never heard anybody say that. Stop. Sorry to get. Really? Say say it again. Nevada. 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 No, Nevada. Yeah. It's, yeah. Who says that? I know a lot of people that aren't from here that say I it. used to. <laughs> really? Yeah. Weird. So what is NAMI? NAMI is, like you said, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And on the national level, we are the largest grassroots organization that's dedicated to enhancing the lives of people who are living with mental illness. And so on our local level, we are a boots on the ground organization. We do not provide any uh, direct services. So there's no doctors, counselors, therapists or anything like that. It's mostly peers. Um, And when we say peers, it's people who are living with a mental illness and or their family members or friends. Or there could be some mental health professionals like myself um, Mm -hmm. that decide that this is the path that we want to go more grassroots rather than corporate, the corporate route. And so we do provide free supports to those two populations that I mentioned through uh, free support groups, free educational courses, and we go out into the community and do free presentations, hopefully to um, just dispel a lot of the myths associated with mental illness and to educate. And we also do advocacy on the state level. So there is another NAMI up up north, which is called NAMI Nevada, and they usually deal with all the um, advocacy issues um, on the legislative level. So do most NAMI groups do the same trainings and that sort of thing in each state? Yes. Um, So from the national level, there are signature programs that are created by them and they trickle down to all of the states. And so 
most NAMI groups do all of the signature programs, but depending on where they are geographically, we have the freedom to create our own um, groups or programs, just basically speaking to whoever we're serving. What, what do some of these programs look like? Um, so the national signature programs, there is one called Family to Family, which we have one going on right now. And it is a six or 12 week course that is taught by um, a family member of someone who has a mental illness. And it's kind of like a mental illness 101 course. It's for people who absolutely know nothing about mental illness until their loved one was diagnosed or they know just a little bit about it and they need to know more. Um, and just for people to be more equipped with education and ways to advocate for their loved one if something were to happen, like a mental health crisis or a hospitalization or if they go to jail or anything like that. And so it just equips those family members with the tools that they need to help their loved ones. And it also gives them a sense of not feeling alone where there are other people who are going through the same or similar situations. And then on the flip side of that, we have a, a class that's called Peer to Peer, and it's sort of a mentoring program. Um, we also use the term recovery and mental health. Yes. Um, and so it is taught by a person who is in recovery from a mental illness. And it basically gives the other peers the tools that they need to get toward recovery as far as following their treatment plans. However, that looks because not everybody has to be medicated. Um, but, you know, seeing your therapist regularly, seeing your psychiatrist, just doing everything that you need to to manage your illness. Wow. So it's like a, yeah, it's like a one-stop shop. Yeah, basically. Um, but we're also a resource hub. And so we do not provide like housing yeah. or um, but you may, anything like that. But we you, have. You may give them an avenue. and Absolutely. So we do have connections with a lot of other human services uh, organizations in the community. And so we make those partnerships and we uh, refer each other uh, people back and forth. So if a family member is um, dealing with a, a child or uh, any other, you know, <laughs> person in their family that is going through a crisis, mm -hmm. they can come to or they can call NAMI and talk to somebody and, yes, you know, absolutely. get the education and, and get some resources. Yes. And um, we do have a helpline. It's not a crisis line, so it's only available during normal working business hours. But most of the time people call and they just want to know what to do. And, you know, we're available. And when I say we, it's really just me. Just you. <laughs> just you in Southern Nevada. You do it all by um, yourself. Um, you know, just talking them through the process because there are a lot of people have no idea what to do if their loved one is in a crisis. Um, they don't know that they can call 911 and request a CIT officer, which is a crisis intervention team officer, instead of a regular Metro Police coming out. Because this is a this is somewhat new. Mm -hmm. um, the you call it C CIT CIT mm -hmm. Correction Crisis no, Intervention crisis, crisis Intervention Team Officer. Yes. How how new is are these teams? They're not new at all, but. Um, not every police officer here in this state is trained to be a CIT officer, but hopefully through some type of legislation that it can be a mandate. Okay. Why do you think 
You oh. think they would get their own number? Sorry. Right? I'm sorry. Like own like instead of 911 or 311? Oh. Hmm. Maybe like a 511? I don't know. That's that's a good question. Why aren't all police officers crisis intervention trained? It's just not a mandate. Um, it's probably expensive as well. What do you think some of the things are that they do in crisis intervention training? Um, well, it firstly just educates people on mental illness to begin with and how to handle someone, how to de-escalate someone mm. who is going through a potential crisis because that you don't approach them the same way that you would approach someone that is not going through a crisis. Um, and just to kind of piggyback off of that, we actually provided a training to some uh, law enforcement agencies that were not CIT trained where they were able to hear a simulation of what someone who's going through psychosis hears. And it was a game changer for them. It makes them really kind of understand or empathize with that person and understand why they're not being cooperative, mm. why they're not paying attention to what you're saying. Is that the hearing voices yes, workshop? The hearing Did you hear voices it? Lab. Yes. I've done it. It's very like? intense. Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. So I went to the NAMI Advocacy Day last mm -hmm. month in Carson City and they had one of these workshops there and you put headphones on like we have right now and you hear what somebody who has schizophrenia hears um, and you keep the headphones on for like 20 minutes and you hear all of the various voices they hear, whether I'd they're- probably cry. It's really, it really emotional. intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you hear, they're negative. Some of them are kind. Some of them tell you to do things. Um, and they, what NAMI does, which I love, um, they have you fill out like an application for work or do a puzzle to show the difficulties of really somebody who has schizophrenia on how they have to function in normal society. Yes, it's very intense. And, you know, a lot of people, their <clears throat> natural reaction is to want to lower the volume. Mm -hmm. But in real life, they do don't that. have the luxury of lowering. Right. The voices and so we ask that they do not manipulate the sound mm -hmm. in any way and um it gets to be very intense for oh, some yeah. people i couldn't even do the puzzle <clears throat> like i literally just looked at my paper and like couldn't even pick up the pen i'd be scared right. to do it right it's definitely triggering if you have um you know for people who may have depression right. or anxiety mm -hmm. like there are some things that even your own voice tells you yes. you know that are the similar voices if i'm being completely uh, honest i feel like that i would uh if i heard it then i might manifest it if that makes mm -hmm. any sense like if i knew what it sounded like i would be looking for it and then that's what a lot of people's reactions were to it so i i would not want to listen yeah. to that you sign so, a paper yeah you sign a waiver we let you know what you are going to listen to so it's no surprises but even though we forewarn people it's still they they had they could not have imagined that that's what mm -hmm. it would be like and i would like to keep it that way personally i, <laughs> I would not want to imagine that. yeah absolutely yeah. but yeah. i think it's so important to have law enforcement know Agreed. these yeah. things Agreed. totally one reason i'm not a cop <laughs> I can't do that stuff. Right. Uh, I can advocate another way. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, absolutely. So a little change in subject. Uh, I've done some research on mental health and I, it's something I didn't notice before, but notice now is uh, the differences between mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I just wondering uh, if we could talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, <clears throat> when you say mental health, Everyone has mental health yes. just as they have physical health. And sometimes it kind of 
irritates me that they separate the mm. two because your mind is a part of your mm. whole sure. physical body. But that's the way they decided to, you know, break mm-hmm. it up. Um, so essentially everyone has mental health that they are either maintaining, that they are um, treating, um, are unaware of things that are going on with their mental health. And then the mental illnesses are the actual um, chemical imbalances mm-hmm. of your brain. And when your mental health, uh, and not to say that if you don't take care of your mental health, then you will get mental illness. Many of them are manifested by trauma. Some are genetic. Some, um, they just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. manifest themselves. So it's not anything that anyone can prevent or say, I wish I would have done this differently Mm -hmm. or, you know, for parents to feel like they've done something or didn't um, do something. The statistic, and it's online, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) But the statistic that I read that actually named you guys as as an advocate was saying that there's there's about 20% of the population that struggle with some type of mental health. There's only 4% that actually have a mental illness. Interesting. And that everybody can use some type of help with mental health. Every, yes. every We could all be a little bit more positive. Totally. We could all mm-hmm. take steps to have a better mental health. But that 4% that we're talking about mm-hmm. that actually have a serious mental illness, like you said, you're, you're born, mm-hmm. you have a chemical SMR. imbalance. Yeah. It's not, there's help you can, you guys are do, advocating and, and helping. There is help, but it's, it's not it's not the same mm-hmm. as right. going and, in getting a coffee because you're mm-hmm. irritated. Right. And also, I think, you know, working in stigma reduction, um, obviously, language does have power. And they've been trying to kind of change the language around mental health disorders. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed like illness has been less and less mm-hmm. Um how do you how do you think that like affects NAMI as an organization? Um, well, NAMI recognizes that, and periodically we do get um, <clears throat> notification from the state organization that um, instead of this language, we should use this language. And so sometimes I use mental illness and mental health condition mm-hmm. interchangeably. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on the the mm-hmm. audience, right? Um, and also there has been talk about not using the word consumer. Yes, I've And heard we use that. peer mm-hmm. instead of consumer because a consumer of what? It could just right. can, can be a consumer of anything. Is, is that a normal term in, in this? It's clinical. Yeah. They use it in a clinical setting for mental yes. health. For example? Um, instead of client, they use consumer. So the person um, you're working with, a consumer. like. Yeah, I've just never heard of it. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Um, that's so they're trying to they're trying to remove that. Upon. Yes, mm-hmm. the actual people who are receiving the services they don't agree with that terminology. I, I don't agree with it. And this is the first mm-hmm. time I've heard it. Yeah, it feels like maybe like taking advantage taking advantage of the system or mm-hmm. whatever. Right, really, you're just receiving support. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a this podcast is mental health and recovery, but I think we tend to gravitate towards recovery a lot of the time for substance use. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, for substance use. Um, one reason we wanted you guys to come come on the show again is maybe um, there is, there are other aspects of substance use disorder that involve mental illness. Absolutely. And not only that, the the parallel struggle between stigmas. I mean, substance use disorder is it, 
one of their main focuses is reducing stigma there. Same thing with, mm-hmm. with NAMI is trying to reduce the stigma with mental illness. I also did a little research on your website and 7.9 million people have what we call as a co-occurring disorder, yes. which is mental health and substance use. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think people who generally develop a substance use disorder already have mental health disorders? Uh, uh, health, mental health uh, conditions and they're self-medicating or is it like a chicken or the egg kind of thing? It could be either way. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, like you said, uh, they go to self-medicating, um, especially with people with the diagnosis of schizophrenia and they have a psychosis. Self-medicating does reduce the um, symptoms of mm-hmm. psychosis. Right. But then there are instances where someone could start off with the substance use issue and mm-hmm. then go into depression or right. go into mania due to, because there are um, some of the uh, mental illnesses that are drug induced, drug induced yeah. correct. So it's really kind of <clears throat> cyclical and most people don't understand that you have to treat each as their own mm-hmm. because they are separate. And a lot of time that doesn't happen. Yeah. And so it's kind of just like a, a cycle sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we find that, you know, in, in substance use recovery, um, a lot of people don't take care of their mental health disorder. Um, even after many years in recovery, mm-hmm. they, they figure at that point, then they need to, you know, seek treatment and, right. of their mental health for sure. Right. I, I still would like to talk about reducing stigma on in mental health. Well, I know for one, with mental illness, that's the first thing anyone wants to say when there's a mass shooting or right. just anything like that. But statistically, someone with a mental illness is more likely to be a victim of a crime rather Mm. than a perpetrator. Mm. That's the first thing. Um, And it just, I think it's because a lot of people don't understand mental illness is why it's so stigmatized, Mm -hmm. especially like when you don't understand something, you're afraid of it Mm. or you tend to shy away from it. Um, And then just, there's just, it manifests in so many different ways. Um, a lot of people who don't understand, you could have two people with the same exact diagnosis, but they, it's, it looks two different ways. And so someone can be completely functional with one disorder and the same per, a next person has that same disorder and they're not functional and they're, you know, doing whatever they're going to look at that functioning person, the non-functioning person and say, well, you need to snap out of it. Look mm-hmm. at this person. This person has the same thing as you and they're not acting like that. Does that happen a lot in recovery, substance use disorder? Oh yeah, as well? absolutely. But every individual is different, right? And their biology is different exactly. too. Exactly. And that's why the Hearing Voices Workshop is so important because so many people think of schizophrenia and they think of violence and they think yes. people are going to hurt you mm-hmm. because they have schizophrenia, and it is just not the case. Yeah, that's actually one of my questions right here: is Do you think mental illness has more uh, a more dangerous stigma than say recovery? Mm-hmm. With the rise of what you were saying, yeah. news coverage on mass shooters, and I know that mental illness is not always portrayed in media as um, nice. No, it's it's usually a villain, or or somebody doing some type of crime, or somebody acting erratically, and it, it's not always the case. Exactly. And 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 I think it's probably um, not the norm, but I really don't know. Yeah, and a lot of people use. Um, the names of mental health conditions so freely, like bipolar. I was yes. going to talk about Yeah, that too. people just 
use that word so willy-nilly and Mm -hmm. it's just it's harmful which which leads me to my next question is how often do you get people who come into your organization that want a mental illness that that kind of one of these people who almost like a hypochondriac munchausen kind of thing yeah who just they they constantly think that there's something wrong with them and that is a mental health disorder in itself, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like an inception type thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, dream, or illness within an illness, mm-hmm. and, and not. Right. But I'm just curious, is that, have, have you experienced it? Has that happened? Um, not me personally, no. I have not. Fair enough. And anybody who... I got weird questions sometimes. <laughs> and anybody who wants support, even if they don't necessarily have um, a mental health condition... Give like it's beautiful that they yeah, even want support. Yeah. And like NAMI, it's for everyone because mm-hmm. everyone is touched by mental illness in some way, shape, oh, yeah. or form, directly or indirectly. So it's not like we say like, oh, well, I need to see documentation stating that you have a mental illness mm-hmm. to participate in this or anything right. like that. You know, it's it's really just about being inclusive and educating. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of our main goals is to educate. You were talking about um, throwing around diagnoses and stuff. And I think um, I wanted to see what your opinion was. A lot of people throw around that they have ADD or uh, OCD. And, you know, obviously most of them hadn't been diagnosed. But does that contribute to stigma or what do you think? Absolutely. Just because in the context that they're using them, I don't think that they are, you know, seriously concerned that, oh, this is something that I really might have and they're not aware of what these diagnoses entail Mm -hmm. you know it's just kind of like the the stereotypical um mannerisms of someone who may have bipolar or Mm -hmm. ocd or um, like even like anorexia or bulimia you know those are those are considered mental illnesses as well i mean i just threw around body dysmorphia Mm -hmm. you know and that's some a real thing that not it's not as common as we think, much like ADD, but right. do you think ADD is on the rise? Like, I know it's so clinical. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say not really on the rise, but that's one of the disorders that's kind of always been mm-hmm. there. And that's when you kind of start to see something in a child, like, mm-hmm. you know, the schools will, but they, I feel like they were over diagnosing yeah. people with uh, children with ADD and ADHD. Yeah, we've also found that there are similar symptoms with people who have trauma displaying ADD, but mm-hmm. really it's just unresolved trauma, trauma. Exactly. or sugar, right? Yes, right. <laughs> sugar makes me like very anxious, for sure. <laughs> this may be a ridiculous question or uninformed question, but I'm going to ask anyways. What is the difference between um, like having mental illness and like a mental disability? The way that you're framing the question, I think that it's like the same one in the same. Fair enough. But there are some intellectual disabilities, like such as autism. Sure. Um, and I think the reason why autism comes into the conversation when we speak about mental illness is because they can also be comorbid. Um, lots of people who have autism also have like depression or anxiety, OCD, things like that. And sometimes you're not able to decipher which condition mm-hmm. these symptoms are stemming from. Okay. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. And I think not all mental health conditions are disabling. 
um, and some are. So maybe that's what the difference would be. There's some that are SMI, so serious mental illness, yes. where people get disability and they're sure. not able to work, but they're still able to, like NAMI helps people to, you know, find hobbies and supports mm-hmm. and connections and that sort of thing. I'm a huge advocate. I love you guys so much. Thank you. I would like to talk about, I, I hear this a lot, that it's it's extremely hard for some people to find a proper diagnosis, um, sometimes taking years. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. It depends. Um, it depends on, like, your age sometimes because when you're younger, certain things look like this and it's not that. Um, I've seen more younger people misdiagnosed mm-hmm. than older, you know, because with the DSM, there's the, the list of criteria. So and it just depends on the doctor, too, because I'm I'm going to be honest. <laughs> there are some <laughs> psychiatrists who are, you know, not really on it. Mm-hmm. They Fair will enough. just, you know, spend five minutes with you to do an evaluation. Mm-hmm. And that's in no way, shape or form okay or, or acceptable to give anybody any type of diagnosis. Right. Um, I mean, that's most of the experience that I've had mm-hmm. with um, dealing with my own um, stuff is it, it took me four years to find somebody that's to spend more than five minutes right. with me. And um, once I did find somebody, I mean, I stuck with them, but I, I understand that it's, it's not like that everywhere. And I, I'm glad to hear that from you, mm-hmm. that, it, that it isn't uh, widespread. Mm-hmm. Right. Does, Dom, does NAMI have a list of providers who may be better advocates who... Yes. Yes, that's wonderful. Yes, I think that's such a good resource because as Chris mentioned, I mean, it could take years, but also take years to find the right medication for people who need it. And so Absolutely. and yes. trial and error. And, and just like you said, patience, because most of the... Um, medications that are prescribed for mental illnesses, they take up to two weeks to work. And so, yeah, you know, if if you're not seeing a change within a couple of days, you're thinking, oh, it's not going to work. So let me just stop taking it and see if I could get something else. And, you know, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those side effects are during the time of stabilization are worse than you felt before. Right. And that can be very difficult, but that's why it's always important to stay under the care of a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and also be seeing a therapist or a counselor. I know one of the hardest parts for me was uh, just actually taking the first dose of medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was incredibly difficult for me to think that I could not handle it myself in my own brain, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know is, if, is the norm or not, but... I think self-advocacy and self-awareness too. I mean, although you're going to know during that time, like there's a transition period, Mm -hmm. but knowing that after a certain point of time, like if you are not feeling like it's proper Mm -hmm. to like consult with your psychiatrist for sure. I think it always, it also leads back to stigma, but a a personal like stigma or, or like some type of acceptance, like that it's okay to have, whatever Mm -hmm. diagnosis you have, and then progress from there. Absolutely. (laughs) No, it's so, so true. And I'm glad you brought that up for sure. How did you get involved with NAMI? Um, Let's see. Honestly, it was kind of something that just fell into my lap. Um, And a lot of people don't know this, but I do have a a mental health condition Mm -hmm. as well. 
I never used to self-disclose and it was just something that I kept to myself. But before seeking the help that I needed, I kind of just had a a blowout, an episode, so to call it, where, mm-hmm. you know, I just went through a crisis and I quit the job that I had. I've always worked in the um, mental health field. Mm-hmm. It's just something that I've always been fascinated with mm-hmm. just because in my mind, I always knew that there was something just a little bit different about me and I wanted to learn. And so I was still working in the mental health field and I just kind of had a, a moment where I just, you know, it was a breakdown. Mm. And I quit that job and I went and got the help that I needed. And when I was decided I was ready to start working again, the first thing that popped up was a position with NAMI. And I was just like, oh, you know, this is this is perfect. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't know much about NAMI at the time. But then when I started researching, I was like, this was God putting me here. This is where I need to be. Mm-hmm. So I was there. um, for four and a half years in Louisiana. But then, like I said, we moved here and I was blessed enough to get the position here to help this organization um, to grow and be here for the community that needs it so bad. It's so true. So you started working for NAMI in Louisiana and when you started coming, when you came to Vegas, um, you said that there's a great need here. Do you think because of just that it's so metropolitan and that it's so it's like the city of sin that more people struggle and and don't have the supports than other places? Um, I think that has a lot to do with it. But then just looking at the mental health infrastructure of this state being Mm -hmm. 51st. I know. I know that is. I was so shocked. Fifty first. We We are last. Yeah. That means like Puerto Rico. Yeah. Alaska's like, gotcha. Yeah, so um, coming from Louisiana, which was a state that we're so used to being last in everything, I did not think it was possible mm. to come to somewhere else Welcome that was... To Nevada. <laughs> I really didn't think it was possible. And it was like flooring to me that I felt like, wow, we have more stuff in Louisiana than there is here. You know, the resources available. And... um there's just so many people that don't know of the help that is here mm-hmm. and the help that is, there's only very little help though. It's just like, it's a small little pocket. I'm always curious. Of resources, but there's so many gaps mm-hmm. um, in services here that I've noticed. And I feel like the people who are in the same field as us, we kind of work in silos instead of working together. Yep. And, you know, if we work together, I think we could reach more people. But, um. Come together. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that We're Last has anything to do with the culture of Las Vegas, meaning gambling? Um, so transient. Yeah. Gaming is number Gaming. one. Yeah. Alcohol is, you know, huge here. Mm. I just it, think the priorities are kind of. That's what this is. Yeah. Kind of what Not, I'm talking about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. in the right place because there's a lot of money here yeah. and it just goes to the wrong places. Fair That's enough. Such a shame. Where should they go? Where should, where should the money go? Yeah. To nonprofit yeah. Yeah, organizations <laughs> that are like, so somebody we, has to say it. Well, so we have a lot of like, we have different um, hospitals, right. Mm-hmm. For mental health, but we don't have any, like we don't have enough like warm handoff yes. organizations when they are, you know, maybe they went through a crisis or an episode and then afterward, like exactly. housing, you know, there's so many 
supportive services that we're lacking. I think that's one of the biggest that reasons. That is the issue. Yes. We need more services. Like more wraparound services mm-hmm. um, and just collaboration because that's that's not happening. Right. Like you said, with discharge planning, if somebody's coming out of a um, mental health hospital, they should have a plan in place that's, you know, help designed by someone that is in this facility instead of sure. just saying, hey, mm-hmm. all right, you're on your own. You would think after a 72-hour hold, there would be some a plan for sure in right. place, right? And but it doesn't happen that way. Is it still like that? Oh, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, there are some things. I mean, it's something. not like it's not. Well, it's that's not. what she's doing. You're you're helping yes. as much as you possibly can, exactly. one person. But if someone is asking me for, like, housing resources, the list is like this mm-hmm. big. She's making a really small yeah. amount of Yeah, I'm hand. sorry. I forgot. You can't <laughs> see me. It's about an inch worth <laughs> of services. Right. And so there are times where I have to say I'm sorry, but mm. I, I really don't have any resources that I can give you at this moment. Do you ever um, direct people to a different state? Um, California, sometimes, yeah, if if they have the means. Mm-hmm. Um, She's not talking about putting people on a bus no, and sending no, no. them. I was no, just no, going to no, say no. that. No, no some people but, have the luxury of being able to, you know, yeah. utilize other mm-hmm. states' resources. And when that's available, I do, you mm-hmm. know, make that uh, suggestion. But I do get a lot of calls from parents or loved ones that live somewhere different like east coast or wherever but their child is here in las vegas and they're just like i don't know what to do i I don't i don't know what to do to help them get your ass here (laughs) (laughs) um so mental health uh, i kind of talked to you about this before the mics were on but uh it's handled differently than other um, medical emergencies, usually meaning that people usually don't take action until something bad happens. Right. And how do you preemptively uh, help somebody who may not know they have a mental illness, or uh, what, what what steps can you take to help people before something bad happens? Right. Um, just knowing the signs, and uh, that's when early intervention comes into play, and. NAMI National is really kind of honing in on early intervention, just kind of recognizing the signs of someone who may have a a potential mental illness if they're not diagnosed. And so there's actually a a training that people could take, and it's just for regular layman people, uh, mental health first aid. Mm -hmm. And it helps you to identify what uh, a potential crisis you know, if, if something's mounting up to a crisis, if you're in a public place, of course, you're not going to know if that person over there has a mental illness. But if you see certain um, behaviors being displayed or just something is, doesn't look right, you know, it helps you to de-escalate. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. That um, until the proper. Um, so what are some of those people? steps or, or some of the ways to help de-escalate? Not only that, but what are the what are the signs? Mm. Um, just someone being overly agitated. Um, maybe if you happen to witness someone talking to themselves, or like answering themselves, or just seemingly talking to no one, but maybe being combative to no one. Um, 
someone passes out, and it's not always like a medical sure. emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a lot of things, mm-hmm. but just something that's like out of the norm. You mm-hmm. you can usually tell when something it's, is just not. Especially quite if you know right. that person, like on a on a normal. Even if you don't, but mm-hmm. if you do know that person on a normal basis, then of course it'd be a lot easier to identify when they're acting. I don't want to say strangely, um, but just unusual. Unusual, mm-hmm. yes. Even if you notice, you know, maybe your friend starts to isolate, or you know, you notice that they stop coming around, or when they're around, they they don't speak much. They're mm-hmm. not, you know necessarily like themselves per se you know helping people to get help you know sometimes we're the last to really know that's true yeah so for people who um might have a mental health condition you know what are what are some of the tools maybe or um some of the Some of the tools people utilize um, to like help with wellness and, you know, it, we, we know that there's medical tools, right? Mm-hmm. We know that there's psychiatric tools, but what are some other things outside of that complementary kind of tools? Um, like doing other self-help activities such as yoga, um, meditating, exercising is a big one, um, changing your diet um, Can you say that again? Because I think that's really important. So you're that saying is. I should eat more meat? <laughs> no, Chris, she's not saying that. <laughs> um, and sometimes just being cognizant of your environment and the people that you're surrounding yourself mm. with. Um, Do you think TV has anything? Oh, yeah. Video games? Yes, yes. Especially um, for the younger crowd. They're more easily influenced. I don't so. Do you like play Black Ops kind of games, like those no. kind of violent games? No, but I don't know this. It could maybe be an I'll save for some people. Maybe I'll save this for a different episode. <laughs> Sorry. No, but some um, people can look at that as you know playing video games as a way to a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the nature of the games or the content that you're absorbing in the TV is not good for mm-hmm. your mental health. This is a highly debated topic. They just opened up, I think a couple of years ago, they just opened up the first um, rehabilitation center for video games because it is that It's considered serious. an addiction. Something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely agree with yes, that Yes, yes, but not like creating mental health is what I'm you're not, saying. Look, we live in a reality where anything can happen. And I'm not saying there aren't people that haven't been triggered by video games or movies or, or whatnot. From what I understand, I don't, and I could be wrong. I'm okay with that. Uh, from what I've understand, that the data is that that is not as prevalent. Who's collecting the data? <laughs> I don't have kidding. it right in front of me. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm saying that in in reference to I'm sure video game stakeholders are probably collecting this data to say that they're not bad for you and that. Not only that, uh, in in certain situations. Uh, again, I always say this with take it with a grain of salt because who can verify what? Mm-hmm. But I've heard that not only is TV and some things not as bad, but in certain situations, especially uh, situations with neglect, 
having a TV is better than not I having totally, a TV. I totally agree with I you. Understand. Oh, yeah, for sure. Having some type of grounding outlet, outlet or mm-hmm. something, if, especially, in, again, like abusive situations with totally. children or neglect, having at least TV or video game to show you, okay, this is may not be yeah. the most, you should, maybe n- not violent games, but... Right, right, right. There's something to say, okay, this this is good and this is bad, this is mm-hmm. right and this is wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was more saying like the content. Sure. Yeah, not necessarily. Sure. I go off on tangents sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. Sometimes I pick the wrong battles. No, it's okay. Fair enough. We'll wait. We'll, we'll talk about video games later. That's interesting because it has to do with mental health and addiction. So I think it would definitely mm-hmm. be a great topic. I, I love it. So, so um, yoga and that sort of stuff, food. There's so many different outlets and ways music. to help music. Like that, yeah. So what does a typical day working for this company look like for you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, prior to me kind of almost being bed bound, just kind of go into the office every single day, check the four different email accounts that I have, because it's like I pretend like I'm a, a different staff person. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I have to this do that with the podcast air. as well. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like four different email addresses, and sometimes people don't realize they're talking to me. You're like, Let me get my assistant on for you. Or right. uh, hello, hello. <laughs> this is the Recovery Everything Podcast assistant. One moment, please. Chelsea will be right with you. Right. So doing that, and then between answering the the helpline, which sometimes rings like fifty times a day, and sometimes it rings once. Wow. So it just depends. Um, going out into the community, making um, relationships with other stakeholders, because I am still sort of new and a lot of people are um, are not aware that NAMI is kind of back on the scene, just making, the sure, that, <laughs> making sure that people recognize that. And um, just all and I do all the day to day operations, like so literally you're doing, everything. You're doing all the administrative stuff and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden in in the middle of all of this stuff, you could get a call from somebody in a crisis. Yep. And you have to drop all that. Yep. And de-escalate. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things sometimes, you know, get lost. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. Yeah. How do you, okay, you're just one person, but how how does that affect you outside of work? Oh, it. Like, it, how do you have boundaries when you get home? Well, I, that was something I had to work on, and that's the reason why I. It, I had to find a therapist here because I was not seeing anyone since I moved to Vegas, but I had to because it was like all I did was eat, sleep, breathe, NAMI, mm-hmm. and it was apparent. And my husband was just like, you you have to set boundaries. Sometimes, even though I know that the phone is not a crisis phone, someone would call at 11 o'clock at night and I would still answer because I felt like, well, they wouldn't be calling if mm. if they didn't need the help. You have a big heart. Yeah, so I had to really set some boundaries with that and um it's hard but i know it had to be mm-hmm. done because i have to still take care of me yeah. Yeah. and it's like i have to practice what i preach it's mm-hmm. like a lot of times you know i'm always telling people about self-care right. and boundaries and then i look at myself and i'm like i'm not doing i don't have any boundaries right <laughs> i've been scrolling facebook all night <laughs> uh i definitely get in situations where i'm going to call somebody at about 10 30, 11, and my girlfriend was like, what are you doing? You know, they're I'm up. Sleeping. They're probably up. No. 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 Normal people go to bed at around 10, 30. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes Not with me. like work emails, 
I'll send at like three o'clock in the morning and they're like, why are you up doing work stuff at three o'clock in the morning? I'll send emails at 1 a.m. Yeah. I don't care. (laughs) And it's just like, while it's on my mind, I Mm -hmm. have to do it because, you know, during the day, so much gets just. Especially since you're like a one man, 18, Mm -hmm. hitting it on all fronts. Right. You mentioned that you, once you got to Vegas, you felt it was apparent to like get a therapist. And Mm -hmm. I think that we don't talk about it today in like our society, how, we don't have to be in a crisis or in exactly. severe trouble to seek therapy. I right. think every single person should have a therapist. I always say that, yes. Um, and it was just because this is a very big transition for me. Like, I've never lived anywhere outside of Louisiana mm-hmm. as an adult. And so just coming all the way to the West Coast and just being immersed in this different culture, mm-hmm. different everything, like, it was a lot for me. We don't yeah. talk about therapy, though. I, I follow mm-hmm. some of these amazing Instagram accounts about um, because there's a stigma even around therapy. When you're in therapy, it means that there's these something wrong. wrong. Yeah. yeah. And that like there's shame around it yeah. and, and that sort of thing or weakness right. when therapy just helps us to really good grow. Right. And it's a, so a form of self-help and it's a form of maintaining your mental health, like going to a doctor for checkups. Right. Right. <laughs> We don't have all the answers either. Right. And we don't know how to cope with everything either. Exactly. Even normal, I'm doing air quotes, normal people, you know? Right. We do have, you know any of these normal people? I do. But they Brent. but they do therapy too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And we need to talk about it more. Like I think it's yeah. important. I have a um a really good friend who I know would benefit from therapy, but she is afraid because yes. of her profession that if it got out that she was going to therapy, that it could make her look um, less credible. Mm. And HIPAA. that is a shame. Right. <laughs> There's HIPAA like your therapist. From I, that. Never. Yeah. So it's 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 an incorrect uh, assumption. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially now. Uh, again, you don't have to tell anybody you're going to therapy. So right. if that's a problem, just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though. Most people I know uh, would not only, I wouldn't say not care, but uh, be encouraging. Oh, yeah. Um, you think that has to do with like a form of self-acceptance? Or, or self-awareness. Like, yeah. Like, or like people feel like they've got it all under control. What, what about right? honesty? People don't want to look at themselves either. Because mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing that's not touched on in mental mm-hmm. health is is honesty being, True again, honest. Yourself. Yeah. Honest with yourself and honest with your actions, mm-hmm. uh, meaning being a truthful person and going, going about your day, trying to obtain the highest good you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. That takes honesty. Yeah. And then. And courage. And again, you're not bipolar disorder. You're not schizophrenic. You have these things. Right. Yes. Uh, person first. Yes. Yeah. I love that you're saying that. It's always person first. That's part of stigma reduction. Yes. Maybe somebody who um, may be listening that needs to, um, needs help, feels alone, feels like people don't understand them, that sort of thing. Absolutely. We're we're always here. Um, So the helpline number is 702-219-1675. And you can feel free to call at any time, but it may not be picked up after the hours of 5 p.m. We've covered this. (laughs) Boundaries. Um, But we'll always get back to you within 24 hours. Um, And it is also a cell phone, so you can feel free to text. Um, I encourage that just because it's, you know, you can kind of respond in your own time. 
especially if you're on the go. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful for me as well. So um, and you can also reach us on all social media platforms at NAMI Southern Nevada. And, you know, just like and share our content because we're seeking to really just spread awareness, eliminate stigma and just educate just that. It could happen to anyone. And if you don't, if it's not directly related to you, you're indirectly affected, whether you know it or not. Mm -hmm. So don't think that mental illness is not like, oh, that's not relevant to me because in nine times out of 10, it is. It's somebody, you know, um, it could be you. Yeah. It could be someone that you work with, someone that you interact with closely. So it matters to everyone. And um, I just think that it's one of those conversations that needs to be had more often. And we need to talk about it, mm -hmm. like not taboo and <clears throat> a stigma aside. Again, like something that needs to be talked about. Going to the dentist. Yeah. Right. Going, mm -hmm. it's, it's a thing that happens yes. in this reality. Right. It needs to be addressed. Right. Just like cancer or... Mm -hmm. Diabetes. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anything. It's just a different part of your body that's sick. So no one blames you when you um, say, oh, I have cancer. You know, everyone's so sympathetic. But then if you say that, you know, I have this mental health condition, everybody kind of just backs up when, mm -hmm. you know, now is the time where you need the most support. So we should be kind to one another. Yes, always be kind. And conscientious. Yes. Conscientious. Well, thank you, Nicole. You are very welcome. I I hope those babies come out soon. They, I hope they come out well. <laughs> they have to like cook a little more. Physically right. come out well. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yes. Not soon. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, they need to roast a little bit more. So if you would like to know more about Nicole and Nami, you can go to uh, Nami Southern Nevada dot org. Nami Or on any social media platform, the same handle, Nami Southern Nevada. What's the other Nami or, or Nami? Nami. <laughs> Nami. Chicago. Chicago. And there's also um, opportunities for volunteering. Yes. So, you know, if anybody's interested in helping me out, you know, <laughs> you can also reach us on any of those avenues to discuss um, potential volunteer opportunities. Volunteer people. Yeah. It's good for your mental health. Yes. Again, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Yay. Thanks for listening. on all the major streaming platforms iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher give us a rating on that iTunes Apple Podcast thing we uh, need them follow us on social media at Recover Everything go to our website recovereverything.com to tell us a story uh, reach out to us we'd love to hear from you